Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights, a podcast brought to you by the Society of Entrepreneurs and hosted by Pearson Crutcher and Jay Healy. The Society of Entrepreneurs is a membership organization founded to promote entrepreneurship and provide education and resources to Memphis business owners. In this podcast, we'll have a series of interviews with accomplished business owners and entrepreneurs in Memphis, Tennessee. There are so many great entrepreneurs in Memphis and their stories need to be told. Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights. Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights. We're excited today to have this conversation with Jay Myers. Jay is the former CEO and founder of Interactive Solutions, a Memphis-based firm that specialized in video conferencing, telemedicine, and everything audiovisual. Jay has also written several books, very transparent about the ups and downs of running and building a business, which you'll hear more about in our conversation, along with his passion for baseball. Enjoy. Good morning and welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights. I am so excited today to have my good friend, Jay Myers. Jay, I have a feeling that this will be a wonderful interview because we'll be able to take you through growing up, starting a business, selling a business. You've run the gamut in the entrepreneurial world. So I am really looking forward to this interview and visiting with you and hearing about your entrepreneurial journey. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Pearson. Really means a lot. Well, and I also know that you have a great podcast, too, so we'll have to make sure that we talk about that some while we're on this interview, too. So if you would, just to get us started out, Jay, where did you grow up? Give us a little bit about your background. Well, I technically uh, grew up, if you want to call it, till I was nine years old. I was born in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, so technically you could call me a Cajun by birth, but we moved to Memphis in, I guess, December of 65 and went to grade school in Germantown. Good old Catholic ended up a year or two later at uh, Holy Rosary, and then a short time after that at Christian Brothers High School. Graduated in 1974 from Christian Brothers and then attended and graduated from the University of Memphis in 1978. A little funny story, but Louisiana, South Louisiana, the temperature is what it is. You know, It's very hot and sticky and humid, and yeah. people have been down there. Well, it's the funniest thing, Pearson, that winter of 60. Six. So you call it January, February 66. I don't think Memphis has ever seen the snow that came through this place like it did then. I mean, 8, 10, 12 inches. And I remember turning to my father, you know, it's a big Catholic family, seven of us, two adults. And I turned around and I was like, Dad, where did we move to? Is this Michigan? <laughs> it ain't Louisiana anymore, but it was crazy. But we got a kick out of it. It was the first time I ever had a sled. So we slide down the hills and things. So it was just a lot of fun. It was quite a change of pace. And we met some terrific people that are friends to this day. That's awesome. So you said that you went to the University of Memphis. What was your major at University of Memphis? Marketing management. Very cool. When you were going to school at the University of Memphis, did you think about owning your own business? Did you have anybody in your life that had done that before? Or what were your grand plans when you were 21 years old at the University of Memphis? <laughs> to try to get a date Friday night, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> if, the, if the truth be known or get uh, have enough money to pay my fraternity dues. But no, I didn't really have any of those kind of things. My father ran the Better Business Bureau in Memphis. So I was exposed to a lot of small business people just because they were members of the organization. And my father always spoke very highly of small business. He had a small business himself for a brief period of time. And then when my brother, who was also graduated from the University of Memphis Business School, he started his own consulting business. 
I kind of thought about it, but honestly, I just don't think I ever had the guts and the, really the idea that I thought I could make a living at to go pursue it myself. So what did you do professionally out of college? Jay, like everybody else did, go look on the list of the large companies and what were they selling? And you know, those days, it was a lot of the copiers, the Xerox, the this, the that, and everything. And so I had an offer to go to work for Xerox. And I don't know, I just, the sales manager and I just, he offered the job to me, but I just didn't really like him. I, something just didn't click. And I thought, God, if I don't like him now, what if I'm going to the office five days a week and seeing this guy? So I ended up uh, researching and found a company that sold, believe it or not, printing equipment mm-hmm. and offset printing equipment that would print paper, but also labels and anything you can well imagine. And it was called a dressograph multigraph. And it was an old company, had been around a million years, but they were having a resurgence, brought in a new president who was going to basically pump new life into him. And this guy had a big time resume. He had come from Litton Industries. If you remember way back when, Litton Industries was microwaves. Okay. In the late 70s, that was a big deal. And this guy just looked like he had technology written all over him. And I took that job and You'll love this. This was probably Pearson and Jay. This was my first taste of entrepreneurship mm-hmm. because I think one of the biggest things about being an entrepreneur is risk taking. And I took risk in those days. And well, how did I do that? Well, while all my friends were taking jobs with these big companies and having thousand dollar or whatever salaries a month at a company car, well, I didn't do that. I didn't get a salary at all. I got a draw, mm-hmm. like a loan. For $800 a month. And I had to quote a company car, but it was also whatever the note was in the car was charged back to me. So I was 21 years old working off the P&L. And whatever I sold and had commissions owed to me, they took out the money that they paid me. And then you would net out the difference. So you say, well, God, that that was a pretty tough plan for a young guy. Well, it was, but let me tell you how tough it was. So after my first full year in sales, all my counterparts, I met them for a drink one night. It was the end of the year. And I said, how'd you guys do this year? They were like, oh, God, man, great. You know, I did like 12 grand and I got a $1,000 bonus. And I, I still got that, whatever the thing was, a K car or some little company car. I said, really? And they said, how'd you do? I said, well, I did a little bit better. Now. No, no, man, how, how did you do? And I said, well, I made $37,000. And I just bought a brand new Pontiac Bonneville <laughs> with a moonroof. <laughs> and they go like, whoa. But it was about taking risks. And that's what I did. And I hustled and I took risks and it served me well. And didn't you learn this selling beer at football games at University of Memphis? Well, I did a little bit of that too. Well, actually, I was selling Cokes, but they were married up with Jack Daniels, Jay. It was a pretty good combination. (laughs) Funny enough, I always saw myself as an opportunist and as a salesman. When I was in those days selling Cokes at the Liberty Bowl, I just would, the power of smell, I'd walk around and just take a deep scent and everything and smell it. Wherever I smelled the most Jack Daniels, I just walked up there with that big tray of Cokes and said, anybody need anything? A lot of them didn't even really need anything, but I just kept handing it to them. Well, they were already kind of about half in the bag, and they just were grabbing, here, here, here. And they forgot about the change. And I mean, I made, I remember I made $40 one Liberty Bowl in an hour. I sat down to watch the rest of the game, and I thought it was the highest paying job I'd ever get. (laughs) Fabulous. That's super cool. I think on your signature after your name, it should be Jay Myers Opportunist. I think so. Well, and speaking of that, tell us how you went into starting ISI. You saw a need. Can you fill us in a little bit about your story with the company? 
Yeah, sure. I think the whole thing for me to start my own business, I'm, believe it or not, a pretty conservative guy. And ever thinking about starting my own business, I had to have something that I could really sink my teeth into. So after I left the, doing the printing equipment, and then I, I went to work for Eastman Kodak, and that had a good run. And then I realized I had to get more of a technology focus in my resume. I went to work for Hewlett Packard, learned a lot about computers and things. And then it was after that, I was living in North Carolina, and I had Kodak had let me go. Hewlett Packard had just hired me, and I started kind of researching really kind of what was new in the world of technology and started reading different things. And then as fate would have it, there was an opportunity for a job with HP back in Memphis. And I took the job and it was selling many computers, but I always had my eye on other things. Anyway, long story short, there was a small telecom company in Memphis called ATS and they sold telephone systems mm-hmm. and they were growing very fast. I wasn't in love with HP. I knew I need to have this technology on my resume. So I wasn't going to go bounce to another job, but I kept an eye on ATS. And then as fate would have it, an opportunity popped open with them and appeared. They called it the opportunity of a lifetime to be a data products manager. And it was a chance to go look at, at all kinds of new technologies and to diversify the company in new products and technologies. Well, here's the moment in time that changed my life. September of 1990, I'm with ATS. I'm sitting in my office and my boss walks in with a VHS in those days, tape, and he throws it on my desk and he says, tell me what you think about this. And it was video conferencing. And uh, I was like, wow, that's kind of interesting. Took it home, showed it to my wife, Maureen. I said, what do you think? She says, I think this is kind of stuff you can sell. Or are you telling me that you can actually have a meeting with somebody that's hundreds of thousands of miles away and not actually physically have to be there? She looked at me and she goes, that's way too sexy. You can sell that. So I felt the same way. And we got going the latter part of 1990. I was selling it to me, myself, and I. And then I built up a department. And my department was, over a period of about five years, built up to about 25 people. Went from zero in sales to about $5 million. And then wow. as all of us that are entrepreneurs, and a lot of people that have been on this show will tell you, entrepreneurs... We can't work for other people. Right. We're, just, we're just not made like that. And so I wrote about it in my first book, Keep Swinging, on my 39th birthday. ATS had enough of me, and I had enough of ATS, and they fired me. And that got me started into my entrepreneurial journey. That's super cool. What year was that then that you started the company? You might have just. Well, I got fired in 95, Pearson, and then on paper, licenses and whatever with the state, and putting everything together, March 11th of 96. Very cool. And how, who did you start with? Did you have employees that you took with you and started your own thing? Well, I had a secretary, an admin, and she worked part-time. And then I had an engineer that came with me several months later. Well, how did you go about finding the people then? Because it's a booming industry, but probably a lot of people are not already educated in that. So how did you find the people that came to work for you? Well, the industry was so small that the people that were in it knew each other. There was a bit of that. And then also there was the aspect of those days, we were selling at ATS really one application, distance learning. That was it. The engineer that I brought on board was the most talented engineer that I knew of in the industry. And he worked for Murray State. A lot of them we found in the schools and just locations for customers and other folks were. So the small industry, I look back in the days, it's been a long, long time ago. I had a lot, a lot, a lot of frustration 
But there is something special about being on the front end of an industry that's just, you know, in your heart of hearts is going to go someplace. Can you believe I'm doing it now, recording this podcast over Zoom? And um, it's crazy. It was very, very frustrating times. The ATS people didn't really believe in the technology. They fought me tooth and nail. They didn't even accept my equipment at the warehouse. Didn't pay my vendors. Constant, constant problems. But you know, the funny thing about it was, Maybe just goofy the way I am, stubborn. I just always believed that this stuff had legs. And I thought, you think I'm the goofy one because I'm on the front end of this crazy technology. I'm not saying you're the goofy ones, but you need to look in the mirror. You're a dinosaur. I'm on the front end of something really, really exciting. And while I didn't appreciate getting fired, that wasn't fun. I appreciate the opportunity to have built a business underneath a business and seeing what it took to run a department with employees, with cash flow, logistics, and everything goes along running a business, vendors and all this stuff. And it was a fabulous opportunity, a rare opportunity that I thank God every day for. And when I see the ATS owner every once in a while, he's a big Tiger fan. Y'all will get a kick out of this. He turns around to me at an event and he goes, well, he says, I guess you did okay for yourself. You're kind of rich and famous now, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) I uh, said, so I don't remind, know about that, but I did have a good time. Remind us who your first customer was. Jay, thank you. <laughs> I was wondering if that might come up in the conversation, but thank <laughs> you for mentioning that. And first customer was PSI, Process Systems. And just happened to know for the audience's purposes, Jay Healy's uh, father-in-law owned the business. Right. And so Jay's very well aware of the company. But and also just, a member of the Society of Entrepreneurs. That's right. Member of Society of Entrepreneurs. I'm more about bragging about that than he's my father-in-law, but it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is good about it. And what a wonderful man, member of the Society of Entrepreneurs. And, you know, Jay, when we had our 20th anniversary as a business, you know, I brought Dick in and I literally made a bronze plaque. Pierce, you were there, of the first order. People probably are thinking, God, that guy's over the top. That's a little crazy and everything. See, I didn't think so. (laughs) And let me tell you what, when I presented that to him, Dick didn't think so either. He, he got it. And I remember looking at him and I saying, you know what? For every entrepreneur that starts a business, they'll understand what I'm getting ready to say next. I don't care what your plan is, all the best laid, everything is that somebody's got to be first. Somebody's got to say yes the first time. Yeah. And God bless Dick and Process Systems. They did and believed in us and off we went from there. Yeah. When you say off we went from there, what did the future of the company look like? What did you achieve? How many people did you have employed? That first year, Jay, we did a couple hundred thousand of business. And we had, I don't know, at that point, 96, we probably had four employees or something like that, Hmm. I'm guessing. And then at the height of the business in 20, whatever it was, we had 65 employees and 25 million in sales. Mm -hmm. That's great. It was fun. It was a nice ride. It was every emotion I could think of. (laughs) Exhilarating, scary, nerve-wracking, stressful. I mean, you name it, it was it. I want to talk a little bit about your actually coming to the decision and then selling the business. But also, I'm just thinking about when you started your business, is there anything that you could say, this was the best move I ever made as I was growing my business, or maybe the worst? (laughs) Well, I think the best move we made, you're talking about in selling the business? Or during growing the business. Well, I think that growing the business, let's talk about that first, because it kind of actually segues into, at some level, selling it. 
we were very cognizant. I'm sure Jay Healy can appreciate this too, of growing debt free. We were very, very focused on not having debt. And what exactly does that mean? Well, we got to 25 million in sales. Could we have gotten to be a bigger company? Yes, we could. Why didn't we do that? Well, some of the other work that was out there, honestly, didn't fit our margin goals. So it really wasn't part of our brand. What does that mean? If we were used to selling products and systems at 25, 35% margin and somebody wants you to sell it at eight or 10, that's not your brand. And what ends up happening when you sell it at eight or 10, well, you know what you have to do. You end up having to borrow money to pay the vendors. So it doesn't make any sense. And I think one of the smarter things we did, I'm not patting myself in the back. I'm just simply saying a philosophy we carried with us the whole time I had the business was that I wanted my employees to understand the finances that were out there. I wanted them to understand that we had to sell the products at a certain margin to make money, to pay their salaries, to pay for whatever, bonuses and commissions and this and that. So I wanted to make sure my employees were financially literate. And I think we did a pretty good job of that. As time went on and the opportunity came to sell the business up Pearson, I think that point I think the acquirer really appreciated the fact that we had employees and a business built on financial literacy. So let's talk about it, the selling of the business, which was really, you lost your baby. selling something that you'd just grown and was part of your life for so long. How did that feel? How did that come about? How did it come about? It was purely accidental. You could say what you want to and everything, but I never wanted to sell it. You could tell by this interview, this thing was an emotional attachment. This wasn't just a business. This was my baby. This was my day to day. Wake up in the morning. This is what you did and you thought about it and so on and so forth. But I always made a commitment that if there was a better opportunity for the business, for it to grow, for the employees' careers, financially to grow it, bigger numbers and more accounts and all that stuff, I would take a look at it. I never had this thing. I turned 60, I'm going to sell it. I never did that. But in any event, though, Opportunity came knocking in 2018, the biggest company in the industry. I guess now it's late enough. It doesn't matter. I can say the name of it. They're not really going to sue me. I mean, they're not. Okay. It's called AVISBL, the largest company in the industry, multi-billion dollar company. They were looking to expand. And so they got a hold of us and wanted to meet me out in Vegas and, you know, trade show and all this stuff. And I thought, you know, this is going to be one of those cattle calls and I don't do those well. And but my son's going, and maybe he could go vet it and see if it's worth having an opportunity to go to the next step. And if it is, it is. If it's not, it's not. So I really expected him to come back and say, uh, you know, big company, bunch of balderas. He came back. I'll never forget. I was in Bradenton, Florida with my wife, Maureen, driving around. Just I think we're going for lunch or something. And he called me, and he was just wildly enthusiastic. And he said, these guys got a good cultural fit. Their margin expectations, their market position looks really good. We need to at least take the next step and listen to them. And it went from there. First time we did a call, as you can well imagine, with a video conferencing company, AVI is based in Tampa. <laughs> and so we do the call and the CEO, I get introduced to him. And Pearson, I'm sure you could appreciate this, having known me a long time in my personality. <laughs> the very first thing out of my mouth was a question. I just looked at him like this and I said, why do I need you? And he goes, what? I said, I think you heard me. Why do I need you? I have competed against your company five times. I've beaten you all five times. 
Why do I need you? He was taken aback at first, and I thought, I don't know what's going to happen here. Then he kind of kicked back, and he laughed. He said, well, Jay, he said, that's the whole point. We can't beat you, so we need you to join us, which I thought was a cool answer. That's a very good answer, and it turned out very well for you, didn't it? It did very well. It did really well. Here's a tip also. I think that anybody that's listening to this, I think you you sell your business, and there's so much that goes into this. We could have this podcast go on for hours. I don't know that, but I know it won't. But in any event, though, one tip I would say to people out there that are thinking about this, just rule number one, you've got to like and respect the people that are interested in buying you. If you don't like them and you don't respect them, don't just take the check. That's the wrong way to do business. I'm not saying you got to do handstands and go to lunch with them every day or something. I'm just saying you got to respect them. And at some level, you got to like them, you know, personally, Mm -hmm. where you go through this journey together, you want to feel good about who you're dealing with. And you want to touch your baby with the right people. That's right. That's exactly right. So we went through a series of these meetings and it was (laughs) harder summer of my life, man. This due diligence and Jay Healy knows all about this, being a financial guy and everything. It's just incredible. Incredibly difficult going through all the paperwork, the processes, the licenses, the contracts and everything. And not only finding all that information for a buyer, but trying to still run a business while you're doing that. It's almost impossible. And keeping things confidential during keeping that. Keeping things confidential. Yeah. yeah. And then in my case, trying to keep my wife sane while she's planning my daughter's wedding in Savannah, Georgia. Right. Which yeah, was, yeah, timing was really something on all of that, I would say. As a side note, Jay Myers has written several books about running his business, growing his business, and even selling his business. And it's all very, very helpful information. So if anybody wants to hear a deeper version of these stories, the books are great. Well, we'll put a link in our show notes for those books so that people can find them easily because they really are all of them. Great books. Every time I read it, I'm like, oh, I didn't even see that the first time I read it. So great books, Jay. I really appreciate you putting your thoughts onto paper because it's important. And that kind of leads me to my next question. I know you mentor all the time. I know there's so many businesses that you meet with. And for that, we're very thankful. You also serve as a mentor to our Insights group and meet with that group once a month. But what's the one thing, if you really had one thing you wanted business owners or people starting businesses, what's that one thing you'd want them to know? I insist, you know, really with anybody out there, you want to be successful in a small business, you have to have a plan. You have to have a business plan. And if you put a good plan together, your chances for success go way up. And without it, they go way down. I always hear this thing about you got to be passionate and all that stuff. But that's a given. And believe in what you're doing. You have to have confidence. You have to be able to take a punch. You have to be able to get knocked down one day, come back in the office the next. I used to have a philosophy. Y'all might get a kick out of this and feel free to use this in your show notes or whatever else. But I had a philosophy that in my business and it worked because guess what? I sold my business for a lot of money. So I know it worked, <laughs> but here's the philosophy. I looked at that success was that if I could, number one, sell something every day, it didn't have to be like a million dollars, sell something every day. Number one, number two, collect money. It didn't have to be a million dollars. Just get a check. So sell something every day, collect a check. I felt like mentally I was on board and I was going to be able to make it. And that philosophy carried me the whole way, almost 23 years of that time. That is very good. Very good. I did take notes, so I will share that for (laughs) sure. 
that kind of leads me to another question because I do know you mentor and I know you've been involved with the University of Memphis and their entrepreneur school. So I really want to ask you a question. Do you think that entrepreneurs are born or taught? I've sat in on a lot of Dell's interviews and everything, which I think are terrific, by the way. You're a great team. I think it's a little bit of both. I think that in my case, I had some leanings that way. That first job out of college, I had the entrepreneurial spirit and the risk taker in me. But there was some training that had to be done, too. And so just for the record, I took a class at the University of Memphis called Fast Track in 1998, right after I, well, I actually bought out my partner and I owned my business. And I was just trying to build a good quality business plan. I was taught to write this quality business plan. Yeah. In fact, Pearson, you know the person, the facilitator of that class was Shelly Bauer. Oh, wow. That's cool. And I sent Shelly a copy of that business plan the other day. And I said, I'm getting sentimental, but I said, I got to show you a business plan that really worked. You got a big kick out of that and everything. But you look at that business plan and think, oh, that wasn't right. Was there any part of it that you were like, oh, I should have done that differently? Or were you right on? Pearson, other than changing numbers because of product prices and things, but the basic strategy, the basic way to go about the business Hand to heart, I swear that that plan was apropos years and years later. Good for you. That was a pretty good plug for Shelly, too. (laughs) Shelly was great. The other thing, too, is we all know this and everything. Entrepreneurship, everybody goes, oh, it's so sexy and you can make money and have all the things and everything like that. It's also a very, very, very hard job. It can also be very, very lonely. Mm -hmm. And... One of the things that was Shelly's class in this fast track and growing your business that helped me was that I got the chance once a week for three hours. And I did it. It was a three-month class. This wasn't, we weren't messing around. This wasn't child's play. I got a chance to be around other entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And we were sharing ideas and doing different things. And I can't tell you how invaluable it was to just have that feeling that I wasn't alone. At that point in time, I thought I was going to lose my mind. I had just taken out a quarter of a million dollar loan to buy out my partner. We weren't making any money as a business. I had to get re-educated about the process. And I was just kind of flopping and flipping and flopping around. I didn't know what to do. But the fact that I took that class gave me the confidence to move forward. That's awesome. That was a single class that only took three months? That's right. It was a specialized class, Jay. I didn't know Shelly Bauer at that time. I got introduced to her through that class. But the guy that was the the head, whatever point man, was an old teacher of mine from University of Memphis, Barry Gilmore. And Barry gave another credibility. And well, I thought, well, he taught me back in the day. So this might be good for me. So I I took the class and it ended up being a little bit more than good for me. It was great for me. I mean, that, that class in 1998 to just quick numbers. Ten years later, I went from one million to fourteen million sales. Wow! Yeah, that is. So, is that experience doing that why you feel like being a mentor is so important and serving it with the insights group so that those participants have that ability to share their loneliness? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And that's what I try to do with the people that I'm working with, be with Score or Society of Entrepreneurs or or whoever that just contact me that just want some help. I'm dedicated to doing that. I didn't get to where I am and have been. I had help along the way. It wasn't just me, me, me. What's the, Oprah had the quote about mentoring. The mentor 
helps discover the hope within themselves for the, the individual, which I thought was a pretty interesting observation. Pearson, back when I was working for Eastman Kodak at the time, I had another crisis in my career. And I was just, it's a long story. I wrote about it in my book in a chapter called Everybody Needs a Mentor. But I was selling copiers for Eastman Kodak. And I just, I just had a crisis of confidence. So it was a long story, but a lot of bad stuff was going on. And I just shook. I just didn't have it going on. I just kind of lost my mojo. And there was a man at FedEx named Jim Murphy, who was my customer. I took on, it was our biggest customer at Kodak. And yes, he bought a lot of stuff for me, or I sold him a lot of stuff, whatever way you want to look at it. But he also was a former sales manager for Xerox. And he could see that I needed some help, that I was in trouble, that I needed a push, that I needed a boost of confidence. And God bless that man. He, at such a critical time, he gave me that boost. That was in the 80s. I will tell you to this day, that moment was one of the most important moments of my career, meeting him and turning my career into a more positive direction. It was amazing. And it's amazing how just those success. encounters along the way can change everything. Really can. What and did just, he actually suggest for you? Yeah. He was a fanatic, Jay, about knowing your numbers. Mm-hmm. He was an absolute fanatic. Now, I was in this high-speed copier business. These were very expensive pieces of equipment that were, I'm in a sunroom right now, with dead gun near as big as a sunroom, huge, copy centers. And they would rent out for X number of dollars a month and all those sort of things. And there were so many pricing plans, but he encouraged me, you've got to know your numbers. You need to know every one of those numbers backwards and forwards. You need to know every possible way a customer can acquire your equipment. And then he used to mess with me all the time. We'd go out, he liked to indulge in adult beverages and those sort of things after work and all. And he would just always mess with me. Let me give you a tip. He said, I don't want to use the language he used, but <laughs> he said, rule number one is don't call your best customer a SO blankety blank. And, and I said, well, did I call you that? He goes, yeah, more than a few times. <laughs> I think you were mad at me. And I go, sorry, you know, but I was human. But anyway, but he was just such a cool guy, Irish Catholic, smart on smart on smart. And he used to work for Xerox. I'm working for Kodak, and I think he got a lot of pleasure out of me being so successful, beating his old company. (laughs) That's super fun. Sounds like he he did everything from a funny, engaging way, right? Oh, and he could be one of the smartest guys. He could be rude and crude. He had a heart of gold, though. That's great. Well, Jay, like I said, we could be here all day because there's so much, and I'm so glad that you've covered so much of your knowledge and your insights in the books that you've already written. But I do want to bring this to Memphis and thinking about you grew up here. You're a big Memphis fan. What excites you the most about Memphis these days? There's certainly a lot of positive activity economically, a lot of new businesses coming in, a lot of things to be proud of and things we're doing on the riverfront and just a host of things that just gives a cause for encouragement and everything. I think the challenges are the obvious. We got to get our crime and some of these violent things under control. But I think that there are people out there more today than there were yesterday that care. They're really working on it. And it's a neat place to be. I get excited when I see my friend Kevin Kane out at Memphis as a destination for tourists. I remember the days and what are you, tourists? What are you talking about? Who's coming to Memphis? But Pearson, I know you've asked this question of a lot of people and everything. It's easy to get off the rail with this question, see all the things that are wrong and I'm just not that person. I'd rather see things that are right. Let me give you a quick example of something. 
everybody thinks that Nashville is a panacea, right? And I think it's a wonderful city, but I got to tell you something. I think it's lost what I used to like about it, mm-hmm. which was that sort of endearing kind of feel to it. And you kind of felt like you were home and all these kind of things. And one of the things I really, really like about it is its sense of authenticity. The people, you know, they're real. You know yourself, you've had meetings and I've sat there with you and you got a guy that's a multi-billionaire, Fred Smith. And he talks to you like you're talking to your mailman or something. And he just said, he's just a regular guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think people here are so authentic. There are a lot of people with good hearts. And I look at, got to be good, close friends with one of the society people, most recently for several reasons, but Scott Moore's, the Church Health Center. Mm-hmm. Well, what a wonderful symbol of where Memphis is at to have the headquarters of a healthcare institution that their sole mission in life is to treat the underserved. I think it's great. It is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really neat things here. A lot of businesses, a lot of things. I think it's cool that we've got the Grizzlies here. I think they're making us proud. They're really doing some neat things and reaching out. And yes, I'm a big loyal University of Memphis Tiger fan. And all these things added together, just make it a neat place to live. Yeah. What does it mean to you to be a member of the Society of Entrepreneurs at this point? Well, it means everything. I was attending roundtables. Pearson knows this for a million years. I think she was getting ready to kick me out. They either had to let me in or kick me out because he was, why does he keep showing up? But (laughs) I just really, I've enjoyed the camaraderie, the people, Pearson's leadership, Walker, dad, and the whole, I like the way the organization is run. And very frankly, for me, I got ushered into a circle of people that I wouldn't have known otherwise. And some of my friends say something about, do you know so-and-so? And I go, yeah. How do you know them? Society of Entrepreneurs. So it's cool. But I think it's also not a social club. I think some people get confused about that. I think the fun thing is the wonderful work that we're all trying to do with promoting entrepreneurship, the next big thing, having the new innovations out there. It means a lot to me that the city that we have lived in for a long time has an organization that is doing those kind of things. It's a good way to describe it. Yeah. We take it for granted, but the Society of Entrepreneurs is an organization that does a lot to promote entrepreneurship in Memphis and mentor upcoming companies and celebrate success for people who've achieved it. It's been yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely. We're lucky to have dedicated members like Jay Myers. And <laughs> Jay, I guess in closing, I have one more question for you. What's something about you that people would be surprised to learn? Something about me? that people would be surprised to learn. Before I answer that, Pearson, I'm going to give you that quote from Oprah because I think it's so impactful. Mm. A mentor is someone who allows you to see the hope inside yourself. I love that. I do too. And I had to get that on your podcast so people hear that. Well, thank you. A mentor is someone who allows you to see the hope inside yourself. Mm. Okay, this is goofy. Jay Healy's really going to go like, man, this dude is so off the wall. Okay. (laughs) This is true, but I am a fanatic. I'm addicted to a 25-year-old TV show. And? Want to ask what it is? Yeah. Walker, Texas Ranger. Okay. I know it's goofy. It makes absolutely no sense. I like the show so much that I watch it pretty much every day, and I've got a big white lab somewhere around this house. (laughs) Guess what his name is? So. 
You had a walker in the house, got to walk around TV, and I just got a kick out of all that martial arts stuff. I just, it's a good show, and I thought Chuck Norris was fun. Yeah, we all need a hobby. That's right. I guess I'll need to check out Walker, Texas Ranger. Do you know that I've never watched it, but I will add it to my list of shows to be watched. I'm not doing a commercial. I could see Jay Healy going, that is the goofiest thing I've ever heard of. If you watch a show, though, it's fun about it is how many famous actors and actresses were on that show on their way up in their careers. Oh, that is cool. Um, very, yeah, very so cool. it's fun. And yeah. you're playing this on VHS tapes? <laughs> you are too funny, Jay Healy. <laughs> All I could say is I do enjoy yeah, y'all are both probably going to say like, well, he's kind of retired now, so he has a lot, a lot of time on his hands, doesn't he? <laughs> Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah. Anything you want to end on? No, no. I think society continues to grow, doing a great job. This show is really a lot of fun. I'm, I don't know how long it's been going on now, several years. Third season? But I, I mean, Third season or fourth? Oh, my gosh. Wow, okay. Uh, this will be the fourth season. I was thinking, I was after I said third, I was like, that's not right. <laughs> Well, I think you grasp a really important technology. I love doing my podcast. It's you know you just have some more, so many interesting conversations and things, and it's amazing the kind of people and the comments people are making these. I think it's astounding. One of the y'all might get a kick out of it if I can plug mine just one second. For sure, it's called extra innings, and people in Memphis will get a kick out of it because CIO of FedEx has got a session on a couple of years ago. Rob Carter, huh. and that is very powerful. Mm-hmm. We'll put a link in that and also in our show notes. That'd be great for other people to listen to that one. So. He is a wonderful, wonderful man. I can't tell you how much I think of him. He's just terrific and so happy that he's in Memphis. Sure. Yeah. It's great. Well, Jay, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you doing this for us today. It's a great way to start the morning hearing insights from Jay Myers and, of course, Jay <laughs> Healy, my partner in crime. So. And, of course, Pearson Crutcher. <laughs> well, there we go. We really appreciate it, and I will look forward to seeing you again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Appreciate it, y'all. Enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jay Myers. If you'd like to hear more about Jay's entrepreneurial journey or the books that he's written or some of the speaking that he's done, please check our show notes.